I'm Christy. And I'm Karen. And you're listening to The, the Modern, Modern Principle. Principle. We're two school leaders who support current and future principles to modernize the approach to supporting students and staff in our schools. We strive to do it all through our approach of scholars, the research and evidence, systems, the structures that sustain, and soul, the emotions and human side. And hopefully we do it with a whole lot of laughs. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hey, Karen. Hi, Christy. How's it going? So good. I am really excited because not only do we have two doctors in the house today, we got three. We have three <laughs> doctors in the house. We just graduated. Can you tell? Congratulations. So today we have Sam Kepler, Samantha Kepler. Sam, we're calling her Sam, um, today here on the pod. And Sam, thank you so much for being here. We're excited to have you. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I'm excited. Yes, we I've been we both have but um, I've been deep diving Sam a little bit more than Karen and I'm just really excited to have her because she's like a real researcher. Uh-huh. <laughs> so this, and, is, this is how the phone call or we were in face to face and Christy's like, Oh my gosh, I found this girl and I'm like fangirling her on Instagram. And so I have to like interact with her a little bit before I like just straight up ask her, like, will you be on our pod? But she's an engineer and oh my gosh. So I was like, okay, walk me through engineer to education. Take me there. And she did. And now, now Sam, we're going to have you take us there on, um, you're, you need to explain that to our listeners. <laughs> What do you do? It was actually the other way around. So I um, started in education. I started as a public high school math teacher in New York City. I was teaching math, like a public school in New York City. And um, I was really, I mean, I loved it in a zillion ways. So I I hate to focus on the thing that inspired me to go back to school as if like that was (laughs) The only part of it, um, I could obviously spend talking about all the things that I loved as well. But one of the frustrating things was the lack of physical supplies. And and I just didn't understand it. I'm like, why? I know that there's not a lot of money, but I mean, markers, paper, mm-hmm. um, rulers, calculator batteries. Like, why is this so hard for me to get? And also other types of things, even like my students needed glasses. And I thought, why, don't, why do my students need glasses and then don't have them? So mm-hmm. um I was interested in studying physical resources and how they get to schools. Um, And the way that I decided to do that was through an engineering perspective, because the engineers, they know a lot about supply chains and physical resource management for building cars. Obviously, education is hugely different, and I'd argue a lot more complicated. Um, But I thought by intersecting that education stuff with the engineering stuff could maybe come up with some better ways to do this and better support teachers and student learning. And, and so that was sort of the, the path that I took. That's fascinating. So as you heard in our intro, Sam has a PhD in industrial engineering and management sciences. Is that correct? That's technically the name. Industrial engineering actually <laughs> is a like out of date name. It, it grew from like people used oh. to study um, like industrial systems manufacturing. Yes. And now if you talk to people in my field people study like crowd um like platforms for example like uber and lyft like ride sharing oh. platforms they study healthcare systems like all the modern stuff um but we have this legacy name that maybe we need a brand brand update in our field yeah, but you guys need a little I the name of the group. okay that's fascinating uh-huh 
I told you. I know. I think <laughs> I think you're like gonna inspire your next career here. I'm I'm getting it. zero more degrees. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So how long were you in the classroom? So I was in the classroom for three years. Okay, okay. perfect. And then taught ninth grade algebra mostly, but I taught some other math stuff as well. But I like that was my crux of my job was ninth grade algebra. Awesome. So we love to start our pods with like just some witty banter and dialogue. And since you're a recent graduate, not recent, when did you get your doctorate? A long time ago? 2015. Oh, okay. she's been a doctor so a while. Yeah. Yeah. What? Um, do you have any doctorate? I still advisors? feel like a newbie though. So. <laughs> Isn't that adulthood? <laughs> yeah. That's right. You realize what you more about what you don't know. That's what getting a dissertation or getting a doctorate really is, is you realize all the stuff you don't know. Yeah. All the stuff you don't know. Okay. So, um, what's, what's some good witty banter we can have about doctoral work? What was the worst paper you ever wrote? Do you remember that? That I ever wrote? Yeah. Probably the first paper that I ever wrote is the worst one. I think like Every time you finish a paper, if you read it two weeks later, you look back at it, you go, oh, oh why did I write that? Or you're like yeah. constantly getting better at it. Just like, but then you can, you have really well-documented evidence of your previous. Of your awfulness. Capabilities. And That's it's, a really good point. You always we wish have, you could go back. Our doctoral program was really collaborative. And so there's like this kind of test paper they did at the very beginning. Like literally they assigned us these groups the first day of grad school and they were like, all right, here's your group. Have at it. Write your paper. And it was so hard because you kind of expect people to come with a level of writing that they didn't have. And you expect people to work like you. And then they don't. Um, and then come to find out at the very end, after you've written this terrible paper, it was all a ploy. And the professors are like, here's project management. Here's how teamwork works. Oh. And we set you up. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. And spoiler alert, I'm one of the ones that didn't know how to academically write. Whatever. I know, I'm joking. But Christy would always be like, you could say what you said in 27 words less. Okay, (laughs) duly noted. It's so funny because once you learn to academically write, then everyone tells us, like, you need to be able to translate it for people, like, write for normal people. You can't write. This is so useless to write in academic. I'm like, well, then why did we spend so much time writing? Learning it. it. It's just like you can't win. I feel like. You can't win. You can't win. Fear Driven PD is the partner for all school administrators looking to plan authentic and relevant professional learning for their staff this school year. These video professional development sessions feature current education practitioners sharing best practices, on-demand videos that give you and your teachers autonomy, and options for singleton teachers like art, music, and other electives. Reach out to Mike at PeerDrivenPD.com and he'll set you up with a modern principal discount. Don't wait to see how Peer Driven PD can fit into your year-long professional development plan to help lead your staff to collective efficacy. Okay, so talk to us a little bit about when you, you talk a lot about your work with physical resources. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? What encapsulates that? Yeah, define that for us and our listeners. There's two types, two buckets, I guess, really broadly, of physical resources that I've looked at. Um, the first one is the physical resources that might have come to mind first, which are classroom basics, mm-hmm. supplies, pencils, mm-hmm. pens, papers. Also included in that is furniture, desks. Mm-hmm. I mean, a big thing that's increasingly, like if you walk into an elementary classroom, there's flexible seating, there's a reading corner, there's bookshelves, there's like, this is becoming more and more like, this is what our classrooms look like. And so all of that stuff included also, technology is any like the physical related hardware of technology as part of it. 
Okay. Um, and then another thing that I've looked at that I think of as, as sort of in the physical resource realm is programs at schools that, for example, like an after school program, okay. um, a STEM program, a um, literacy program, something like that, like a program that, that schools can get. And I think that I, I view these things as sort of different than some of the social resources in schools, like collaboration between teachers, mentors, role models. Those are things that are, I think, are outside of my expertise, the, those types of social supports in schools, leadership even. Uh, I'm looking at sort of the physical stuff, the teachers mm-hmm. that you see in the classroom when you walk in the school, and also some, some, of the, some of my research focuses on the programs that, te- that schools get to sort of supplement their core curricular stuff that they provide. Got it. That makes perfect sense. So where would, is, are the two buckets then the physical and then the programmatic? That's okay. what I would say. My and research sort of falls into you, those two buckets. Would you say that like curricular materials like decodable texts or teacher's manuals, those types of things, those would fall into the, the physical side, right? Yes. I think what I, most of my research is sort of focused on what the schools are not providing and how teachers get a, like augment supplement. And so I think some of the things that I focus on have been more on the other stuff and not on the curricular materials, which I think are somewhat Got provided not at a higher Got rate, it. not, not uniformly, not everywhere, of course. But, um, so I think supplementation is another angle that I've taken, but, um, I don't think that that's, that's just sort of what I've done so far. So, oh, go ahead. No, you, well, I would just be really interested because you say how teachers are supplementing based on what they're not getting. And I remember being a teacher um, and, you know, really buying my own expo markers, all of that stuff. And then no, because- do you want to know what, what my first year I taught in Kansas City schools, like our, our Kansas City public, and we had one ream of paper per yeah. month. And so I used to have to go to Office Depot and buy boxes yeah. of paper. And I was making 22000 a year. Yeah, no, I mean, all my money at Office Depot. I will say, I think in, in large urban districts, when mm-hmm. I, I taught it with Teach for America in HISD in Houston, and um, people were having to buy their own copy paper. Yeah. So what I would love to know from you is how rampant that is and where are the areas that teachers are really not receiving the the physical resources that they yeah, just where, basic needs that they need to do their job. Where are the big <laughs> gaps you're finding? Yeah. So I think um, the what we've like, so one of the things we've been able to do in the research is um, use some data that exists about what the holes are. Like, what are these holes that teachers need to fill? And so for a long time, teachers teachers have been doing this for a long time. Yes. Um, but a lot of it has been spending money out of pocket. That's really hard for people. There's not been good data on like, what are teachers buying out of pocket? What Like, where are they spending this money? Um, and even maybe they're doing other things. I, or definitely they're doing other things like um, going to donation centers, um, get writing a grant. Like all these things are very hard to trace. So what we did is we contacted the uh, the largest teacher crowdfunding platform, which is Donors Choose. And mm-hmm. this teacher crowdfunding is, of course, just one way that teachers can yes. supplement some of the stuff. But it's got a lot of data on exactly what teachers are asking for, what the category is, how much money it costs, et cetera, et cetera. So it's enabled us to study what are the what are these resources, what is their impact, and things like that. And so the the answer is maybe a little unsatisfying. But I think that we're seeing in the donors choose platform is like, it depends. And the thing that, um, what that means is that sort of every teacher has different students and they have a different 
things that are provided to them by their school or principal, different things they can get from their principal. Um, and therefore, sort of what the gap is, is sort of different in every single classroom. Maybe not 100% different, but we're not at least finding that there's some, everybody's asking for X. Um, there is an interesting example of that, though, was um, in the COVID, in the immediate aftermath of like 2020 COVID. So all these districts were distributing laptops, right? This was like yep. the, the major intervention. There was a lot of, I think, feel-good stories in the press about distributing laptops. And it was so exciting. And it was such like a, we're tackling this horrible crisis head on. And then what was happening is that these laptops were meant for remote learning. And what the teachers were starting to say, and this was evident on Donors Choose, but other places as well, where teachers are sort of able to speak about what the resource gaps are. They were like, well, these aren't very helpful if we don't have headsets for our students because they're at home with the dog, three siblings, their parents are working from home. They don't have, like, if there's not headsets, how are these students going to learn from home? Right. And so then there was like a huge initiative to like supplement and get headsets to everybody. That was sort of the, the supplemental thing that actually made the laptops helpful. Like laptops by themselves were not, were very limited in impact without the headsets. And so in some cases, of course, there are like, everyone's asking for the same thing. Um, but a lot of like day to day, what we're seeing is that it sort of depends on the situation. And that's what um, a lot of these spending money out of pocket, writing a grant, working with a local community organization. Those are the things that, that teachers and principals do to fill in the gap that's they, only they can see uniquely, like they see something for their students that that would help. So obviously, like it, it assumptions would be if teachers aren't having to spend their own money on these supplies, they would be more willing to like their paychecks would go longer, satisfaction higher, retention higher. But we also know in research, you can't just make assumptions. So have you find what kind of correlations have you found, if any, with proper resourcing and retention? So the, the research that we've done was able to um, take advantage of this data on the crowdfunding platform to understand, okay, if teachers' projects are funded, yep, then does it improve their retention, either in their school or in the public school system more generally? Like they can switch to another public school, but does it keep them in the public school system? Yeah. And what we find is that overall across all the projects, regardless of what type the project is, we do find that there's a significant effect of being funded on teacher retention in the public school system. So like teachers are more likely to stay on in, this, in their teaching careers when they have a project funded, regardless of what it is. Um, and it's about like a 1% reduction versus a 4.5%. Like it's a, it's a pretty sizable effect. So like nice. in, in a given state, a 1% reduction from 4%. So it goes from 4% teacher leaving rates to 3% teacher leaving rates. Um, and then we find specific projects with certain types of resources have like a really big effect on oh, both really? teacher retention at the school and in the public school system. What's that? So there's two types. Um, one is the, the classroom environment stuff that we talked about earlier, the classroom, the furniture, the rugs, the tables, the desks. And I think the reason why that's the case is because that stuff is particularly hard to get anywhere else. You can't mm -hmm. really spend money out of pocket on that. It's hard mm -hmm. to get shipped to the school or bring it to the school. The principal's unlikely to buy it for you. Um, and um, also, it's not something you can get like a secondhand, like these flexible seating and some of these furniture. Like getting it secondhand, it doesn't work quite as well. And mm -hmm. so I think that has a particularly big effect because teachers are just feeling like they're out of options 
um, if they can't mm -hmm. get those things. And so, so that true. has a particularly big effect on retention. And the I... other one is in, in a similar vein is the more creative projects. The projects that are more unique or different than the other projects, those are also particularly impactful on teacher retention. And I think it's a similar logic that these are things that are hard for teachers to do otherwise. And so I guess the, the overall sense of it is, you know, teachers are, this is really important to teachers. And so when they get these projects filled, it helps makes them feel better and like they're better able to do their job. And so that's at least for the retention side, part of the story yeah. that we see. I bet it would increase value, um, like their feeling of value when they're able, and also the creativity part would give them the autonomy. Purpose yeah. autonomy. Yeah. I think about the, I think that environment is really important and there's, I mean, there's, research um, on facilities, right? And how facilities impact teacher retention, and morale, and student achievement. And my staff used to always make fun of me because I, I hated like, um, you know, buying like a couch at a garage store or a garage sale and like bringing it into the school. I'm like this, no, we should have real furniture in our school. <laughs> I was the opposite. I was like, oh, that's a deal. Bring it in. We'll recover it. And so they always made fun of me. They're like, Christy doesn't like having a homey school. And it's not about having a homey school. It's that schools are a commercial environment and we need commercial grade. <laughs> there is a lot of wear and tear. That's accurate. So I think that what you're saying makes a lot of sense in terms of if I have a beautiful classroom where I have furniture that meets the needs of my instruction and of my students, I'm probably more likely to stay. Yeah, and a lot of that furniture is used to differentiate instruction, mm -hmm. to work with small, like those kidney tables, for example, or like you can't work with a small group of students on literacy or math and like do these things if you don't have this physical space that permits it. It's really hard to do that. And so yeah. I think... Um, and that's why in, the, in another study that we have, we show that the projects, when they're funded, have a significant impact on student learning outcomes on standardized tests. Really? And so even these, and you have to think, like, these are really small beans in terms of educational interventions. It's like getting teachers some stuff. But I think we can think about it as, like, you're inserting those resources on the front lines of education. And, and there's not a lot of other ways in which those resources are inserted directly there. And so we can more precisely measure their effect. Um, and we see that they have a big effect. And I think I think we were even a little surprised that we saw that effect, even though like we've been there personally, like on yeah. the, like on the like you've felt how those challenges are making your teaching less effective. Yes. Um, but I think that still seeing it in like numbers and data was pretty surprising. It, it makes me think too, like principals can only, building principals can only control so much in terms of what their budget is. However, they can control a lot of how they spend their budget and the autonomy that they give teachers. And it sounds like your research really does support the idea that when teachers have a, a strong vested interest in these particular resources and get them, they tend to retain stay in the profession longer and students tend to achieve higher. And so that's just some things for principals to think about. Are you giving your staff enough autonomy to purchase or are you controlling exactly who gets what and what materials? Do you have any thoughts around that? Like different ways principals lead yeah. that way? So I think the principal's in a complicated position. So there's things that don't come up when you're doing teacher crowdfunding or grant writing or spending money out of pocket, like things like fairness. Um, like, are you going to give all your teachers the same amount of money? Are you going to have certain priorities for different subject areas? Um, 
And like, even the, the logistics of, do I give, I mean, I know there's a norm around giving a budget at the beginning of the year for your classroom startup, but there's also something about once you get to know your students, that might be the time where those resources, so you don't like, do you allocate it throughout the school year? These are all the questions that like, we don't have answers to yet, but I think are really important on sort of what I hope like the engineering education intersection can help answer of like thinking about some of these questions. So I don't think our research has provided conclusively that, you know, if teacher or if principals are able to buy these things for the teachers, we're going to see all these amazing effects. It's sort of, a, it's just showing that when there's the gap and the teachers fill it externally, they have this, it has this really big impact. So what does that mean for principals? What does that mean for the system about how to um, provide resources? There's a lot of questions logistically about how to implement this um, in a fair way, in a like maximum impact way. Um, it's tricky. So yeah. I think that's, I, yeah. I've been in a district before and um, the crowdfunding was pretty regulated. Um, you had to get quite a few approvals to do it because at the end of the day, you know, you might have a teacher who's wanting a $300 grant from donors trues or something like that. And the amount of manpower it took to process that grant legally would be well past the $300, right? Because there's every grant you get and you bring in to do it legally and to do it ethically requires a lot of work. And so they said, you know, if we're doing a $300 grant and it's costing $5,000 in fees for our, <laughs> for our central office secretaries and accountants, then that's not a great, you know, use of money. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that in terms of, is that a, a place that districts could switch their, I don't know, their money? <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah. it doesn't work out like that, right? <laughs> right. Well, I've heard from like state superintendents that tracking receipts for like, let's say you wanted to give every teacher $800. Like that's what about the average of what teachers are spending out of pocket. So let's just mm -hmm. give them $800 they can spend every year. Okay. Then you have to track every single receipt. Um, right. And then there's all these like, like there's a lot of administrative effort involved in doing that as well. And so it seems like right now our system is designed that no matter what, it's hard to like <laughs> get teachers. It's much more efficient to buy everything at the district level maybe, or maybe the school level, but like mostly as high as possible in big bulk and distribute. That's the ch cheapest option because you can buy things in bulk. It's like paper in bulk is a lot cheaper than buying one ream of paper. A teacher going to stay with buying one ream of paper, like that's the most expensive paper. Um, like we've all done that, but that's... And so it doesn't make sense for the system to work that way either. So there is not really, we don't have a system designed that thinks about like how to efficiently and quickly, I think there's another element here that we haven't really even touched on, which is like a lot of the reasons why teachers are spending money out of pocket is they need this now or like yesterday. And like, yeah. even if there's a way for me to get paper through the system that I can order something, like I remember there was an option for me when I was teaching, like I could have gotten paper maybe it honestly was so like, how about the effort on me as a teacher to like yeah. figure out the right way to get paper. So just then I just go by. Yeah. Yes. I agree. Yes. The other piece that like the other way I've seen districts push back on crowdsourcing a little and not to go down the crowdsourcing rabbit hole, but um, it sends a message to the public that your school is unwilling to provide these things to your kids when and I've had it myself when teachers have put things on there and I'm like I, I would have just bought it for you <laughs> I do buy that for you like you have that so why are you asking people for it so there is that kind of thing also where 
teachers just put a generic list and it's all stuff that maybe the district will be providing and now we have excess. So there is that other side of it too. What's that? Have you looked into that much or like the district's perception of that? So um, what I'm trying to do right now is like in process is a study that looks at exactly like what the district is providing and what all the teachers and principals are like both of these things together simultaneously, because I think that a lot of the questions lie in studying both those things at the same time. Um, what I've heard so far, like, for example, what I've heard when I've interviewed teachers is like, especially in wealthier school districts where I think parents have a certain expectation that their students' education is well provided for, the principals get really, if it's not outright banned, which it is sometimes, but if it's become public knowledge that like one, one teacher I interviewed said that she wanted Spanish English dictionaries and the principal had told her that she thought she should just use Google Translate, but she was like, it doesn't do a very good job. And she wanted the dictionaries itself, the hard copies. And um, so she put a post on Donors Choose and the principal got really mad. And she was like punished for that. And the parents were like, why does it, we, why are you not buying Spanish English dictionaries? And so this is like a really big source of contention. Um, and that's all, and not in, like, everybody wealthier districts, especially, but then in the, like in low income districts, it's like it, everyone's like, that's normal. And I think that's also problematic too. So there's like, it's a really messed up system right now. (laughs) Have you um, seen any pitfalls? I love, I, Christy wrote this question and I love it of like, people have purchased certain resources that just don't seem to have like bang for their buck. Particularly. Yeah. At the building level. Yeah. Well, first of all, my, uh, my woman that I've worked with and worked for Rand and had done a lot of research, she did this analysis of a survey recently in 2021, 22. And it said that about 20% of teachers in this big survey reported that they weren't using the resources that there's resources that they're not using that they've been provided. That's like one in five teachers. I think this is a big issue that's talked a lot about in, in the education research is like, what is going on when there's provided resources? Like, for example, especially around curriculum, like textbooks, supportive materials, they are not used. The teachers are like going on teachers pay teachers and it makes I think the general consensus is this is not working good. Like something's wrong. There's a mismatch. Yeah. There's no, teachers aren't doing, use, they're using like subpar materials instead of the better, well-tested. Like evidence-based. Yes. And I think there is absolutely like a, a knowledge training, ex, you know, expertise related to this implementation, like why teachers aren't using some of these resources that are provided. Um, there's also, if we think back to the laptop and headset examples, it's like, just because you have the laptop, maybe you can't use it because you need the headset. And so there's also this, the physical resources, like, do I need a kidney table in order to use this reading curriculum is the way that it's intended? Maybe. And like, is that the barrier? And I don't think we know for sure. I think it's probably both. There's probably, it's not just that the teachers don't know how to use it or they don't want to use it. There's probably something else where it makes, there's something that makes it hard to use it. Um, and that, that obstacle is like not really about knowledge or intention. It's just, it's hard for teachers to like use that provided thing. Just Right Reader is the decodable text company for schools who want to increase reading achievement for their phonics learners. Purchase now so your students and teachers have access to books that are aligned to the science of reading research with a clear phonics continuum, beautiful illustrations with fun stories that represent America's diverse students, and a QR code on each book that provides a mini lesson in both English and Spanish. Just Right Reader libraries have a place in each of your classroom with packs of six books that come for small group instruction and take-home packs that fuel family engagement. 
Both of these products come in both English and Spanish. Check out JustWriteReader.com to increase reading achievement for your students today. So Sam, we're coming close to the end of our time together, unfortunately, because I feel like I could talk to you all day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I would love for you to share. I basically said that there's more problems than solutions. So of course we could probably go on and on. You're preaching to the choir choir there. Um, We (laughs) typically end our podcast with From the Desk of the Modern Principal. And so we would love to know um, what you would like to leave. Um, Almost all of our listeners are either building leaders or aspiring building leaders. So what kind of little tidbit would you leave them with? I think based on what we've like researched so far and what that we know so far, I think the, the biggest thing that you can actually think about tomorrow is how are you handling teachers' requests for resources? So I've heard from teachers that they don't even go to their principals and ask for things because they know they're going to be told no. Um, And I think that's just a missed opportunity to like get some data on what's going on. And so there is this sense of at least collecting the information about what the teachers are doing. Can you collect data on what teachers are spending money out of pocket? Is that possible? Like this is like rich information. Um, that is not necessarily like shared. And I think there's a lot of maybe stigma or tension around it, but I think it's creating a culture where this is open and transparent and the principles like on the side of the teachers and trying to like collect data and understand where this, like they can make better decisions. I think that's like an actionable next step. Yeah. Such a good point that even if you have maybe a very small building budget, you want to create a culture where teachers ask you for everything they're needing so that you can, like you said, collect that as data to potentially rearrange that budget to hopefully yeah. support more. Advocate upwards about what the teachers are spending. And I think um, I think there's definitely opportunity there to um, like make it that even if the teacher is spending money out of pocket, we like, but if we, that was known and maybe two teachers are spending money out of pocket on the same thing, like, can we at least even integrate that? So then the teachers don't have to spend as much. Like, I think a lot of it is hidden right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And so overcoming that would maybe be a first step. That's really smart. I think it just goes back to like, how can you get input constantly on the decisions you're making? And I think sometimes principals don't think to ask um, input on budget because it's such like a, I mean, it's you on the line. If you're in the red, that ain't good. But um, it's also so much of like, they're the ones on the front line, like you said. And if you're not checking to see if what you're allocating is having the impact you're intending, then what's the point? Absolutely. Smart. Sam, thank Brilliant. you. So, yes. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Um, is there anywhere thank that our listeners could um, find more about you, more about your research? I have a website. It's a little geared towards the academic audience, but um, you can go to samanthakepler.com and um, you can see a little bit about my papers and other places where my research has been cited in like um, K-12 dive or other types of um, education outlets. And then you can always email me. I, I will respond. So feel free to reach out. Amazing. Well, we will make sure to, we'll put her um, website and her email in the show notes. So feel free to check that out. Thank you so much again for joining us. Thanks for joining us today on the Modern Principal Podcast. If you enjoyed today's pod, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can find out more on our website at www.themodernprincipal.com or Instagram at The Modern Principal. Bye!